Hello, everyone. I'm here with Abby, my Twitter friend who I have now met in person at last week's Micro Solidarity Gathering. Um, and Abby's doing a cool community building project, and I love hearing about people's community building projects and having opinions and ideas about them. So I invited her to have a conversation with me on the record um, to hear what she's up to and what are the challenges and like, do I have ideas or can I make any recommendations or suggestions? So um, welcome to potentially a very interesting conversation. I'm not sure if it's going to be good yet, but I have got a good vibe from having spent the last week with Abby. Um, do you want to give us a big download of like, what's your situation and what are you up against? Okay, um, so it's a co-housing project. Um, there's 30-ish housing units of mostly one to three bed flats with some four or five bed houses. It's due to be finished building around September. So there's this big like transition period everyone's going through feeling excited and really scared at the same time. Um, and at maximum capacity, the project will have about 49 or so adults with a bunch of kids. And currently there's about 40-ish members in total. It started about 10 years ago by three couples who would probably describe themselves as like leftish and green. Um, and the special thing about the project is that it's set up in an inner city neighborhood with a higher than usual population of people of color compared to the rest of the city. And the founders were, were and still are very keen that the project is accessible to, in their own words, any old person walking down the street <laughs> and want the project to be a kind of like gateway drug to intentional community in general. And um, supposedly you can choose how much you get involved. Uh, so one of the biggest pro values of the project is diversity. And the way that's been enacted is that there are allocation targets for recruitment to meet. So there's a, a target of like, at least eight households must have someone of a South Asian ethnicity or East Asian ethnicity, or eight households should have LGBT plus um, identification, disabilities, etc, etc. So that's the context. Um, so that's a big context. Now, um, there's like two ish things that I'm kind of concerned about and interested in. And the first thing is about participation. There's this like 10, 20, 10 dynamic going on. There's roughly um, 10 kind of like core team people doing like 80% of the work and maybe like 70% of the talking. And uh, this project is their life. They can sometimes feel really stressed and disillusioned, but then they also really care and they really want the project to work and they're so happy when it does. And also this way they kind of get more control. And the sort of 20-ish people in the middle who kind of like chip in now and then, um, help out with the project or task here and there, uh, maybe come to like half the meetings and they kind of generally trust the core team to do what they want to do. And then there's sort of 10-ish people on the sidelines who hardly come to any meetings, um, sometimes come to a social event now and then, and uh, you kind of know they're alive and they haven't quit the project yet. <laughs> um, so core middle sidelines, that's why I'm calling these three spheres of um, participation. So after, what, uh, after listening to what you said um, on your call with Nuanu, um, like I've understood that this distribution curve is really common in, in a lot of projects. So I've accepted that. And the thing I think I'm actually concerned about is letting people in the sidelines group kind of like 
have negative levels of participation or, or be forgotten in some way. And the other concern is around like stagnancy around the spheres and like not really organizationally making any channels to encourage movement, even if movement isn't particularly desired because people like where they are, but at least having that those avenues available. Um, I heard you talk about like the, the two type of membership model for Inspiral and I was like, I don't really think that would work for this project because people would be way too uncomfortable with that like power difference being set uh, too clearly. And it would probably make the um, class and racial differences between the core team and the sidelines team a bit too obvious. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, and there is a participation agreement that says that there is a minimum level of participation like you should come to 75% of meetings, do X of hours of working group time, do X hours of maintenance days, etc. Um, but I would say actually only like 50% of the entire group actually meet these levels. Um, and then there is a line at the bottom of that agreement that says if you have needs and wants, you can talk to needs and wants group and they will uh, see if you can waive any, any of this for you. Um, so my idea of uh, responding to the issue is somehow reimagining the participation agreement because I don't really think it, it feels a bit dissonant in some way. And I would like to sort of introduce channels between the spheres of participation. So in between the core 10 and the middle 20, I would like to see more training and like mentorship and spreading out the coordination of the working groups between two people rather than one, stuff like that. And then in between the middle 20 and the sideline 10, I'd like to see more accountability mechanisms because it's only there's only soft accountability at the moment where it's like, oh, we're all friends and friends don't want to see each other feel stressed, but I don't <laughs> I don't believe like that's enough really. Um, across 40 people, that's a bit, it's the wrong scale. <laughs> so it's the wrong scale to use that kind of accountability mechanism. And then the other channel between these two spheres is um, like, of course, increased availability of work that's not too thinky, because I think that's probably maybe a bit harder for sideline 10 people to do. And, um, and also more training if they want to do other kinds of work, for example, apart from less thinky work. Um, yeah, those, those are my thoughts so far on that area. So I've got a list of questions, <laughs> sorry. You're probably not going to answer all of them, but hopefully this might um, uh, feed into what you say. Do you think the concerns I've raised are worth addressing in a long-term picture? Perhaps it's an equally good approach to let the dynamic be the way it is, provided since that um, everyone's pretty okay with it, apart from the core team feeling stressed, but only every now and then. Um, what could offering training even look like? Because in a group, uh, people seem like too busy to do anything more than what they're doing. And I don't know, I guess they are kind of very, they are doing stuff. Um, and then what would accountability possibly even look like when the group finds it really difficult to feedback anything remotely or suggestively negative to anyone? Um, do you think it's worth reimagining the participation agreement to be more reflective of what's being practiced? Um, I know it's like it's just on paper and paper doesn't always have to match practice but I think I don't know I'm curious if it's you know worth it like re being reimagined and maybe it could be like you could 
be invited to pick what level of participation you want. And obviously the, the project will benefit more if it has more participation, but, and, um, and technically you still have equal power in the sense that you can come to meetings and object with, to things if you have reasons. Um, and then the last question is, it's like a more bigger picture question, it's kind of optional. How sustainably decentralized can an organization be if it's aiming for diversity? Because diversity also means that you get people who just aren't interested in certain things and um, new work supposedly takes inner work, but diversity also means that you can have people who are just not interested in inner work as well. Um, so yeah. That's me. Sorry, I've talked so much. <laughs> That's great. That's great. It's kind of like, um, yeah, it's impressive. This, I'm really, really appreciative of your download. Um, good questions, hard stuff. I, I'm like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> 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 um, maybe, maybe you can tell me a little bit more about um, like you know, you said that the core team maybe sometimes feels a bit stressed, and then other mm -hmm. times it's other time they're fine. You know, like when things are going well and they can see progress, it's like the reward is the progress. Um, but then there are other times where they're feeling stressed. Like, um, how much how much do you know about how the core team feels about the inequity of participation? Um, I talked to one of the founder members recently, and he told me that one person in the core team um was so stressed she was dreaming about it mm. or something like that mm. <laughs> and feeling absolutely overwhelmed <laughs> when she woke up or something like that mm. um but that's not all the time that's just that's just um I, I get the impression it's now and then I'm not super close to the core team but I've also heard other stories from other people who are like oh she had to like take let, like another person had to like cut down her hours at her job because she was doing so much or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. it's like here's it's a lot of hearsay but um, i've not actually directly come to go to them and ask them exactly how stressed are you on a scale yeah. of one to ten well i mean a scale of um dreaming dreaming about it to losing sleep about it um, to <laughs> having to drop my other work so that i have enough space to do this like all of those uh, those are really good those are really good indicators. I think that people are overstretched beyond their comfortable capacity. Um, so your first question about, is it worth addressing? I mean, my instinct is yes. Uh, if, if, if there's more than one or two people that are having that experience, then yeah. Um, because it just seems like a recipe for burnout and resentment, you know, and that, that um, at the moment, progress is good. And there's a sense of like, okay, well, this is just what it's like. It's, participation is never going to be equal we can get on with it we've got good trust and good relationships but um maybe by you know like you say things are supposed to be completed by september okay but what if there's a delay by three months and budgets are getting strained and relationships are getting strained and someone's like shit i've been putting off all my other things to make this you know like as the pressure comes on more and more it's easy to imagine a couple of people kind of reaching a, a break point or a yeah just resentment and bitterness yeah. uh, there's this image that once the project is housed there'll be like some some dramatic decrease in admin work um, um probably won't be the case but maybe once the project is housed 
after a year, then there'll be some dramatic decrease in, <laughs> in work. But I mean, I do think sometimes like, what if that dramatic decrease never comes? <laughs> yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it's more likely that the, the type of work will change dramatically, but I wouldn't make any estimates about how much work there is to do. Yeah. And like, I do sometimes think like, I mean, can this be sustained over, over a longer term? I don't know. Um, it's it's also very it's also very like um, uh, what's it called? Comes in waves. I mean, yeah. there's uh, two particular people I'm thinking about in the core team who I know uh, have heard these stories about um, are in the uh, membership welcome and membership team, which mm. yeah, it's like very intense at some point because you've got to recruit five more people and then like mm, crickets for like, yeah. three months because there's there's nobody there. Yeah. Um, welcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the, you know, like what, what I described with Nuanu about this is normal. I think it helps if most of the people, at least in the core team and ideally in the whole, in the whole group, understand that this is kind of normal and that it's a, it's a potential source of problems. Um, but it's fine if we manage it together. And it's, and it's actually like, I think the conflict comes from a lack of shared understanding or just people having unrealistic expectations. Um, because like, if people know that only a quarter of us are gonna be doing a lot of heavy, heavy lifting at any one time, but the intention is probably people are gonna come and go out of that role at different points in their life, depending on what else is going on, what the other priorities are. I mean, this is a long, we, we can look at it in a long-term view, right? Like we're expecting to spend a long time together. Um, if people know that that's not, you know, like the, the 30 people who are not currently showing up to every meeting and pitching in a huge amount, like that, that's not a problem. They're not, they're not like broken somehow, but it's that, that's, uh, they're kind of taking their turn and that, some sometime in the future it might be their turn to like step up and do more of the the housework so to say um i think just getting that shared picture that this kind of participation in equity is normal and to be expected and we're going to manage it together i think that could potentially head off some conflict as well because like if you've got a bunch of people in the middle that are quietly feeling resentment that there's not more activation from all the participants I can just see that like being a little rotten, um, smelly fish in the back of the fridge. It's just getting stinkier and stinkier. Mm. Um, so that's the kind of like, okay, you know, your question about training, that's, that's an example where there could be a training or a workshop or something, you know, where you kind of discuss this dynamic together and, and get a sense of, you know, it's not just you getting clear on it, but it's more like shared understanding is being built around this thing as a, as a dynamic that we have to manage in the commons. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, it's kind of almost structural because the people in the core team are usually people who are like more, most of them are retired mm. apart from the two couples who are working part-time or full-time while, while it's happening. Um, yeah, and retired people will always have more time than the people in the middle who are mostly uh, full-time, I don't know, single mothers or couples. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's I guess that's what you're saying before about like you wouldn't want to just have this very clear black and white line of you're in or you're outside the circle because that would probably reveal that the people who are inside the circle have all of these structural privileges. Uh, and it's like, are we reinforcing a class dynamic here? That doesn't seem very helpful. But yeah, I mean, that that dynamic is likely to be reasonably static then if it is about how many hours do you have available in the day, you know, like that, those mm. like young mothers, for example, they're not going to have any extra hours for the next five years. <laughs> not many, you know, some, but not many. You wouldn't expect that to be a big change. And so like, it's like the, the community structure has to be resilient against people being in those different stages of life and having different levels of availability and that not being, that not being a problem. And so like, yeah, again, I'm like, this is a kind of a commons management problem. Um, and and the, stake, the, different, the stakeholders in these different classes need to have empathy for each other. And there needs to be kind of feedback systems where the young mum who's got no time but is like fully bought in and it's where she lives and like she needs to have a stake just like the person who's got tons of time and can show up to every meeting and have their have their voice more obviously heard so it's quite important i think that there's like active work going into making sure those relationships are you know wide open and clear and that feedback's flowing in both directions mm. Mm. like even if she doesn't the young mum is not able to put in that much time she still clearly has that has a voice of some sort um, yeah might not be a very loud or uh frequent voice but it's still a voice yeah 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 and in the sense that like if if things are going along and then and then suddenly she's like hey i've got this really serious concern there's going to be a place you can go and should be taken seriously and won't be like dismissed because she hasn't been at the last three meetings you know like yeah that could easily happen and so I, I, it just makes me wonder about this is what's helpful about clearly defining you know there's like the such and such committee or the this and that members group or something course yeah. theory blah 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 um is you can make that more explicit like the rights and responsibilities associated with each category mm. Um, so I'm sort of like just thinking aloud how to get that clarity of rights and responsibilities and expectations, um, acknowledging that you're going to have people at it, you, you've got this value of diversity, so there's going to be people that are at different levels, um, and also not wanting to reify a class distinction and, and have it like accelerate inequality between people. That's it's, uh, it's, oh, my mind explodes when <laughs> I try to think about this problem. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it feels it feels like so many things like pulling each other in different directions but maybe that's just the way i'm conceptualizing the issue and i need to conceptualize it differently and i don't know like i mean a question that's coming up as you're talking it's like um it's fine if we have this training and everyone kind of got on that page um but then <laughs> the people who would come to the training and probably the people in the core 10 and some in the middle in the 20 and none of the sidelines people might come because they will probably would feel like they might i don't know they're not interested or it, it people might be speaking too fast or i don't know like yeah like that yeah um or they just don't have time and and then the, another question was around like it would just even if we had this workshop it would be kind of in 
just this oral thing again. And I do think people do recognize this kind of orally sort of. Um, and I have wondered, is it okay that this knowledge is literally quite oral and like, like the way I've learned about this is literally through people talking and people hearing. And I, if I only looked through all the agreements and policies of the organization, I would not get a feel for this much at all. Maybe I would, I would spot it here and there because I do mm. notice some people's names pop up a lot more in um, certain messaging channels and uh, rotors and so forth. Um, but it wouldn't be as explicit as somebody told me orally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is it okay that it's just oral and never really acknowledged like on paper in some way? Well, not really acknowledged, but you know, as you said, you know, having those like rights and responsibilities being clear and so, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if you're going to count on the oral tradition, it might need a, a bit of support. So like, um, for example, you can design a formal structure, which is everyone has a buddy or everyone has three buddies, or, you know, like there's some kind of um, explicitly designed grapevine or gossip or, you know, uh, what do they call it? A phone tree. Um, so like when an important decision is coming up, you as someone on the core team knows Okay, so we're not officially calling you a core team, but like everyone knows that there's like three other people that they would check in with um, about this upcoming thing and they're kind of assigned or there's like that, that level of clarity. I wonder if there's a way that it, yeah, it doesn't feel like you've got extra decision-making responsibility or that you've like got extra powers, but just um, we know that these people are, have more access to the information than the others. And so there's a, we're asking them like, can you nominate three, three of your neighbours that you're willing to keep up to speed with things um because then you can actually if you know that structures in place then you can count on this oral tradition to actually flow more effectively you know everyone's got a few buddies yeah i think there is a buddy system in place but um i don't really think it's um alive yeah. <laughs> i think if i talk to someone they would sheepishly tell me that their last buddy meeting was sometime last year yeah. yeah 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 and that's the other thing that sometimes buddy systems don't really work and and what works better is a crew system so that is like four or five people instead of one to one um which can be kind of hard and yeah it's easy to drop and then there's nothing to making a group of five where it's okay if one or two people don't show up one month you know that um, but having some kind of, yeah, some kind of way of making sure a critical mass of people are meeting a critical mass of people and that whatever's happening in those meetings is kind of like intrinsically motivating because otherwise all these people won't show up, right? Mm. It could also be like, I mean, we're organizing a gathering in for August for some of the people in Inspiral and there's like 40 people in the European Inspiral region and we want all of them to come to this gathering, but it's the same dynamic. You know, there's like 10 people who are super engaged and then 30 people that are less so. And um, we don't have a formal structure in place to get the message across. And so what we've done in this case is just like, I wrote a list of everyone. And then there's like four of us in the organizing team and we've just gone and said like, who are we gonna contact personally? And that might be a simple, that might just be all it is, you know, that you don't have like a really rigid structure. It's just that it's a habit. 
that you know it's a practice that you bring into your ways of working is that um there's these periodic touch points where you know everyone's getting some one-on-one attention um because if that channel's open then whatever needs to be shared will be shared um but the, i think the risk that you're saying about negative participation the risk is people that have no real touch points and they're actually getting disaffected or or at, at least their views are like completely not represented by what's happening in the majority flow like they if they're not connected to someone that's that's coming to all the meetings like they're just going to be they're going to drift off right like they're going to feel and and it's like some people will just go quietly and just be a bit passive you know like a lot of people treat their city government that way maybe they're just like i don't care i ignore it um but <laughs> at that smaller scale it's it's less likely people will just be passive it's more likely that is just tinder lying around waiting for a massive conflict which like splits the community in half because it's like hey wait a minute there's all these 10 people that are really disaffected and they haven't had their voices heard and then we're going to have to have a big dramatic yeah like there's two factions against each other you know <laughs> that could that could be cooking in the background and you wouldn't know it if then if they're not if there's not enough visibility it's funny, like, for some reason, I can't imagine that so much. Um, I feel like the, the 10 people in the sideline group won't, won't really even want a conflict. <laughs> um, it only takes one motivated um, complainer, though, to, like, build a, a, This is really, it's a really common dynamic. You have a lot of people who are disengaged but quite passive, and then one person who's, like... Um, very actively engaged against the majority. Um, and they see that they're on a kind of quest for justice and like all these people haven't been heard and they kind of, they whip up a kind of like, um, yeah, you have like, you have kind of like the mainstream in the margin and it's very normal in a group for someone to step up as like, I'm gonna be the voice for the people that are on the margin uh. and, and like activate all these people who have been very passive and they would be fine, but yeah. It's really normal that that kind of lightning rod character comes online yeah, at some point. No, I have experienced that in um, previous housing project I was in, um, and it that did I think it did actually create yeah a, a faction of some sort and yeah um, I almost feel like the the kind of marginalized identity um, in the people on the sidelines was like taken on even more than, than than if it wasn't I don't know it's it's not like but it's not it's not like we don't want to raise it like <laughs> yeah I mean okay so I'm imagining this participation agreement I like I really I think it's really um it's a it's a starting point it's but it's also quite I don't really it's just very, I feel really weird when I read it because it's like, I know probably only 50% of the group like do it at the moment. Probably the more, slightly more engaged half of the middling 20 and the core 10. Um, and I, I have this image of it sort of being a stick that you can hit yourself with <laughs> if you're feeling bad or like, but like also, I also have this image of people like hardly ever like reading it and then not taking it seriously at all. And then there's no, what's the point of having it? If, yeah. 
we don't really take it seriously. And yeah, as I said, I don't think we've got like a, a, a scale appropriate accountability mechanism at the moment. It's just very, friends won't let friends burn out. Um, but that, that really only applies between the core team and the maybe the more engaged half, the middling 20. Yeah. Because they're friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way to like as a group, you'll develop your own governance culture over time. I mean, you've already got one, but it's going to keep developing. And um I know at Inspiral, one of the moves that's happened gradually over time is from from basically moving from a prescriptive to a descriptive approach. So like the prescriptive approach is we need everyone to put in 10 hours a week into the gardens or something like that, you know? Mm. Um, and, and it's like your best guess about what the community needs. And mm. you have a big consensus process around getting that and everyone says, yes, I'm in. Uh, whereas the descriptive approach is more like, this is what we see. Like there's a ton of work that needs to happen. People are in different categories about how much they can contribute. Um, if this, then that, you know, like that, that, that there's a kind of description of consequences and um and and maybe some guidance about these are some common categories of people's experience there's some people that are going to have tons of time and these are the kinds of ways that they can show up and participate there's other people going to have less these are some opportunities for them um this would be the consequence if there was not enough total hours of contribution this would be the consequence if there was not enough total people contributing and kind of like it's a bit more yeah, it's less about trying to describe the perfect solution and more like, here's what we're looking at. Um, and this is what we've noticed works really well. Or like, these are the kind of challenges that emerge and these are the solutions that have worked for us. Um, so it's more about documentation of what's happened and what's happening rather than this like visionary projection about what would be ideal. Yeah, that kind of is what I kind of described earlier as like how I would personally want to reimagine the um participation agreement and the thing i'd love to see that example yeah of like in spirals if it's available publicly um uh like just like in maybe maybe not framed in negative terms or maybe framed in positive terms like if we do this we'll be able to get this if, if we do this we'll be able to get this but then also framing it negatively may also make it even clearer though um I think the <laughs> objection um, I would get is it would be too complex to explain to people who are new to co-housing yeah. and make it even more confusing yeah. <laughs> as to how to participate or if to, if to participate at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, I mean, yeah, this is the other thing about Inspiral as well, is that there is that quite a wide divergence between what's written down and what's spoken, you know, what they, what's, the shared understanding versus the written documentation are very different mm -hmm. and the written documentation is quite minimalistic um and some parts of it are like super trustworthy and the other half is like out of date and irrelevant or like kind of illogical and nonsensical um and there's no way from the outside to know which one's which you have to be on the inside of the system to realize like oh yeah yeah that's just the participation agreement it was a guess it's not actually what people are doing but it was a good guess because you know it's a good introduction to the topic or something but this 
I think that's probably normal, especially in a group that's living together, that so much of your shared understanding is going to be implicit and it's always going to be out of date with what's on the paper. So, I mean, even giving, giving new people that warning, you know, I've always wanted, we've never done this, but I wanted to have a, a kind of like explicit thing on the top of every policy agreement that says the older this agreement is, the, the less likely it's still relevant. So, you know, it was last updated on this date and check in with someone <laughs> before you trust it, you know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, mm, the kind of um, making that clear, setting those expectations from, from the get-go rather than, I don't know, um, afterwards. But I don't know. I am also one of those rare people who sometimes take paper seriously. Uh, I am apparently surrounded by people who never take paper seriously. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. They are confused as to why I would even consider that to be an issue in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it becomes an issue when there's a conflict. Like when things are really strained, uh, in most groups, the paper is what makes the final decision. You know, it's like, well, everything's messed up and everyone hates each other now, but at least we've agreed, like, this is the policy we function through and we'll grudgingly go through it. Like, it is, it does often provide an important backstop, even though 90% of the time or 95% of the time, it seems lots of people are like, oh, it's irrelevant, I don't care. Like, you know, like, if there's a legal challenge, if someone needs to be kicked out of their flat or something, mm. like, then suddenly the, what's written down matters a huge amount because the legal system only cares about what's written down. Mm. Mm. So I think you are playing an important role as someone who cares about what's written down. Um, and yeah, it sounds like you've, you've got reasonable expectations that lots of other people just won't care most of the time. And that's confusing, right? Like, is this, this, is this like, in, in a way, is this illogical mismatch there's like two different versions of reality and you're never quite sure which one to trust hmm i'm i'm now thinking about like change process and um the and like the ability to give feedback like on my call with one of the members earlier on this week um I, it just really struck me that the way he was describing the project from his perspective at the moment was that the group is really in the middle of just being delighted with each other and <laughs> a kind of like a honeymoon trying to build social fabric like and to really strengthen that kind of stage and that might be what's contributing to why it's hard to say anything mm. that like um Ever, ever slightly negative mm -hmm. apart from if you're naturally abrasive like me um and so there's this i'm like wondering what is there like i mean maybe in like the norming storming forming this stage thing it's like a forming oh my god sorry i'm getting confused between this those stages but like what is next after this that we could start to possibly give feedback that's um i don't know yeah more mm. uncomfortable right like yeah stuff, more uncomfortable. Stuff, stuff that feels a little bit a little bit confrontational like oh oh uh, i feel uncomfortable that you told me that but it's probably important i know that <laughs> um yeah ideally that some of those practices can come in before they're needed um 
And this this is like your question about training. I do wonder if there's um and maybe it's fine, you know, like maybe it's fine that only a only a minority of people would even participate in the trainings, but at least to start seeding, like there's some key skills of community that we know we're gonna need as we go on together into the long term. And being able to give each other feedback about our impact on each other, that's one of them. Um, being able to manage conflict in a skillful way that like attends to people's needs and brings us back together is a really important one. Um, there's going to be a bunch, you know, like decision making, different kinds of decision making protocols and people understanding how they work. That's one. Um, probably a lot of practical skills around the actual how do you manage the physical space. There's probably a bunch of training involved in that too. I wonder if um, there can be a almost like an annual calendar of skills and that the feedback thing is something practiced early what we've seen with um, feedback practices and teams is like if there's a shared understanding that feedback's important and um and that we basically mostly suck at it you know like everyone everyone kind of individually goes like oh yeah feedback would be good if we had more but collectively it's like we just don't have a feedback culture if there is that shared understanding then people may be willing to do feedback practice, you know, every three months or something. And they'll start out giving very sweet, appreciative feedback. But over time, the, the people that have more trust with each other, they will give each other a little bit more constructive stuff. They say, hey, you know, um, I mean, one of, the, one of the frames we often use that I find quite helpful is three A's feedback. So what do I appreciate about the way you're showing up? Uh, what you could amplify, like something you do that you could do more of and what could you adjust like something you could do that you could do differently giving someone that kind of frame or something like it you know some somewhere where it's like you've got an opportunity to say something nice and that feels like praise and appreciation but you've also got a chance to say something that's slightly more confronting if if people have been given a chance periodically to practice that kind of thing even though at the start it's going to be very sweet and light and it might only be a minority of people participating over time when it's needed those skills will be available and at least some of the people to be able to like kind of activate and say, hey, like for me, those those more difficult feedback moments, they they happen in the days and weeks before a conflict, right? It's like you need to get in front of this. I can see a conflict brewing. You need to talk to that person and tell them what's going on. Um, yeah, it's kind of like you need to have those nutrients lying around in the soil before before springtime. Like I'm hearing you like argue that there is some benefits to having it in, in cycles somewhere, even though it's only the most active part of the community, somehow it will percolate <laughs> to the, the, the other side or the rest of the community in some way. Well, this is what this is what I keep harping on about rhythm all the time. It's like so you take, for example, participatory budgeting processes. Whenever someone goes in with this big, exciting plan about doing participatory budgeting in a city, they always find at first there's that very low participation. But if they keep consistently doing it once a year or whatever their cycle is, eventually people start to actually see the outcome and say like, oh, it's worth me putting the effort in to get the outcome. Like if I wanna get my project funded, I should go there. Yeah. Um, I think the same kind of thing can happen with these skills trainings where it's like maybe the first time that you saw it advertised on the community notice board feedback training, you were like, that seems boring and irrelevant. Um, but then you, six months later, you had a whole bunch of community experience. You're like, wow, I really need to improve my feedback skills. 
and you see that recurring thing come back and suddenly you care about it in a way that you didn't six months ago Mm. 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 yeah I'm starting to have this image where I don't know there seems to be this big emphasis on trying to make like coming into the community as I don't know um not not too complicated not downloading not giving too much information to the person who's like interested in joining especially if they're new to this whole world um and so like that kind of community competencies um only very slowly like being developed as they join as they become resident for half a year for two years for five years like oh maybe yeah I should attend that training (laughs) that's going on on a Sunday morning or whatever um yeah um that would be yeah that would be interesting like just kind of like yeah that that image of of gradual development of competencies um yeah especially if the training is actually fun and there's food and people know that it's it's like a fun way to spend half a day it's not like this boring corporate workshop like that it's actually engaging and you learn a lot and you get to know someone a bit more and you know it's you have delicious food at lunchtime and <laughs> yeah and it's right there in the common house just like 20 steps away from your door it's not, yeah. you don't have to travel across town because i guess we're all like geographically quite yeah. um scattered relatively yeah. speaking at the moment yeah do you have um uh Wow, my train of thought just entered a tunnel. I don't know how long the tunnel is. <laughs> I remember that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that's my brain reaching the end of the day, I guess. Um, oh, do you have a kind of probation or a, or a sort of like trial membership or like, you know, a get to know you period before someone becomes a fully embedded member? Yeah, there's a six month perspective membership period um where you technically have a buddy and um and uh someone explains to you what the minimum criteria of becoming a full member is <laughs> by the end of your prospective membership i'm laughing because nobody gave me mine sorry <laughs> um and um some at some point somebody explains to you how consensus works <laughs> um <laughs> yeah i think that's that's the pres- and then um you are told by email or by whatsapp you know about meetings that are coming up and you there is a, a line somewhere there going prospective members highly encouraged to attend yeah something along those lines yeah um, yeah I, I, I think while people are in that mode you know they've got this kind of like temporary role where it does seem natural that they should be learning a bunch of things, you know, like, and like you say, yeah, you don't want to overwhelm them and overload them and just have them feeling like kind of bombarded. But it is reasonable to assume that everyone has some training and consensus. Everyone has some training in conflict or communication skills. Um, Yeah. Even if it's like a couple of hours total. Yeah. Yeah. The conflict and communication. I mean, the consensus thing, when I did, when I had mine, it was like 10 minutes. Um, (laughs) 
Um, not because I already knew what it was, but because it was actually 10 minutes. Um, and um, that was my other thing I wanted to talk about, but I think your brain is like slowly shutting down. Sorry, I'll, I'll just bring it up now while you're still mildly awake. Um, it's, I know we are trained in consensus and the official line that everyone is told is that we make decisions by consensus at general meeting. Um, but I think in practice, we actually make consent uh, decisions and not all decisions are made at the general meeting. Um, quite a few, like, like things are delegated to working groups, although that is decided by the general meeting then mm -hmm. to be delegated temporarily and then come, you come back. Um, but maybe that is, um, I don't know. Is it, is it kind of infantilizing to, uh, to think that people can't understand what consent is compared to consensus and to change the line and to also say that the decisions are actually also delegated? I, I, am, I have some kind of like, I guess some frustration over why there seems to be a reluctance to change the, the official line, even though that's not actually what we practice. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm very biased on this because I think consensus is just a really broken word because in common usage, like if you say the you know, UN Security Council reached consensus, they mean unanimous. They mean everyone had the same view. Um, or like I built consensus in my team. It's like then it's not, it's not a formal unanimity. It's like something else. Um, and then like you say, in your context, you're actually doing consent. And it's like, there's just these different concepts all overloaded onto the same word. And so I find it quite helpful to just bring a new word in. So for a lot of people, consent will be a new word. Um, and then we get to define it for ourselves. You know, that um, I find that very helpful. And I, I'm, it's like capitalism, you know, I just don't talk about capitalism. It's too frustrating because everyone's got their different, they're showing up with like different pictures in their head. And so like, you're not really having a conversation about the thing you want to be talking about. So I'm um, like lots of, like if you actually read consensus decision-making manuals that are training people how to do it, they're really emphasizing the consent part anyway. Like that, they're saying it's not about unanimity. It's not about everyone having the same view. It's about making sure that people don't object, um, which is what I think it was a consent anyway. So yeah. that's my bias. Um, and again, like on the prescriptive versus descriptive, like descriptive is, hey, this is what's happening at the moment. Some decisions happen here, some decisions happen over there. This is basically how it works, you know, and we could change this if it's not satisfying us. Yeah. Um, but it seems like this sounds like there's people attached to this prescriptive vision, I would guess, because what's designed into that consensus process reflects something really core in their values. And it's like, well, I don't want to change that because that would mean giving up something crucial about my identity. Um, so that's that's kind of a, a job for a therapist a little bit. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think oh, I'm, I'm leaning to, I'm, I'm finding that I'm wanting to lean towards this, talking about like, um, I might have all these ideas that you agree that sound kind of cool, but like I'm one person who has these ideas and I'm, I might be maybe one or two people who agree with me. Um, and I'm kind of like in, I'm, I'm like, the words coming to my head are like change process yeah. but like what and I don't remember that there being much of that on on the hum course and that I could 
when it comes to change process, like my mind kind of draws blank because um, I'm like, I, I have observed that I communicate in a relatively abrasive way compared to other people. And um, I'm not afraid to say that's not consensus, it's consent. But then people will look at me and go like, you're, <laughs> you're being so <laughs> fucking pickety. <laughs> um, and, um, and like, yeah, as you say, like, I do feel like this vibe of like people really wanting to hold this like prescriptive approach because it's so much easier to explain to people, especially new people. And I'm like this person going like, but it doesn't work that way. We should be descriptive. And it's this really horrible dynamic that I'm falling my, I'm finding myself fall into and I don't want to be that person. Um, like, I don't know, black sheep or whatever. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's me at, at this point. Um, the the ideal case, the thing that we do talk about in the HUM course about change processes is this idea of retrospectives. That so you have this very regular, like frequent process of collectively identifying what's the one crucial thing we need to improve next week or next month or something, you know, like that looking at our ways of working and running rapid iterative experiments. Mm. And like, if you can get that baked into the community, that's that's the kind of generator function of all the other good stuff um, because people know like once a month or once a quarter or something, there's this meeting where we get to talk about the things that are pissing ourselves, pissing us all off. And then we're going to do some kind of prioritization process and we find the top thing. And we're like, next month, we're going to try this new experiment. On. Okay. So you're like, I just need to get this one thing in. <laughs> retros. You just need to get retros in. I'm just like, how am I going to get it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So how you do it is, um, in a smaller subgroup not and you don't try and convince everyone all at once you like any any new working practices it's so much more convincing to say hey over here in the comms working group or the finance working group we've been running these processes with this like we're using trello and we have these retro meetings and we have whatever else whatever else um and tell a story based on what's actually happened and say like i think this could apply really well over here do you guys want to try it for a month rather than doing this big kind of sales pitch about like, hey, I figured out all of our problems and I've got just the right solution for you. Because <laughs> you only get to do that a few times before people get sick of you like, okay, another one, another one of those ideas, like it's probably not gonna work and they get really disengaged. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, okay. Um, I said that's the ideal case, that you have this very regular process of updating your ways of working. Yeah. Um, but that's quite, it's kind of a stretch goal. Uh, often what happens is on your first retro, it ends in tears, like literal tears, because people have been invited to share their discomforts and their dissatisfactions and their tensions. And, so, and they have, no one's asked them before. And suddenly it's like, everyone's got a way too long list. And then there's like no <laughs> capacity to hold it all. And then everyone's like, that was a horrible meeting. I never want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that would feel like a dream for me, but okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's more common. And so it's like, it only works if you can try it a few times. And that's why I say, like, get it in a small team first, because if there's only five people, the amount of grievances that you have to hear is much smaller. Um, especially if it's a new team, there's no grievances yet. You've just, you've just have your work together, like you'll have five or 10 meetings and then at the end you can go, Oh, what could we do better next time? And people will say, like, oh, we could use this tool or that tool. Like it's there's not a huge amount of emotional overload to that. 
Um, but yeah, just be aware that the first time you do it, you could be like unleashing a whole bunch of grievance that is going to be hard to hold and it'll make people not want to do it again. Um, and so the other, yeah, the, the, I guess the other approach to change, change processes is, and this often happens at Inspiral too, like it's happening right now, there's a big change process underway to rewrite like half of our agreements. Basically, someone in an informal leadership position will start raising a discussion to say, hey, I think everything's a bit weird and something needs to change and who else has got an opinion about that? And they'll start doing this informal sense-making and then eventually it'll, it'll get clear enough like, ah, I think the problem is here. I don't know what the solution is, but I'm going to start a working group and anyone that has an opinion about this topic can join that working group. We're going to meet weekly. Da, 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 da. These will be opportunities to participate. And like you say, it's like we delegate the decision-making to a smaller group. Not the decision-making, but the, like, the sense-making the development, the, the framing of what the problem space is, the, um, the invite for participation from the whole community, and then this like convergent process towards whittling it down to a proposal, like all of that happens in a subgroup. And then the, sub, then the, the wider group gets to ratify the proposal with consent. Um, that's, that's pretty natural for us too. And it's like, that one feels less like a decentralized self-organizing humming team and more like, a more traditional leadership approach, you know, where there's someone who has enough context and social capital and reputation that they can uh, <laughs> synthesize all of these diverse needs and perspectives into something that feels like good enough for our next step. That that tends to be less decentralized, but often, yeah, often what actually happens to like get the big changes through. Mm. I have a feeling like there is a limit. There's probably a limit to how decentralized this project can be in general because of because of the aim for diversity. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's like an evil or bad thing. That's just just how it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and really, when people say decentralized, it's never really explicitly mentioned in in the project. It just Anyway, uh, it probably is more like a, a culture and a vibe than there than it is a uh, structural or, or um, who's doing the work kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and to be clear, like when I say decentralized, I mean like there are multiple centers. I don't mean it's all completely flat and horizontal. It's just that there's like clusters of centralization, multiple clusters of centralization, and those clusters kind of move over time. Um, rather than that, so we're pretending that it's all like completely distributed evenly, like that just never happens. Um, I had a thought. Oh yeah, the um, another thing I think that's in the in the hum course is this idea of a task marketplace, like which is a process where you can get everyone to like with if you're all in the same room with post-it notes, like transparently kind of dump these are all of the tasks that I'm responsible for or that I'm currently doing. And then have a way of sort of saying like, how much capacity do you have? And some of the core people will say, I'm stretched beyond my capacity. And other people will say, I've actually got room for a little bit more. And then you like do a negotiation to move the, <laughs> move the tickets around and say like, who can take this off me? Or at least who can be my apprentice or my shadow or my you know, buddy on this thing. Um, and that can help to break down the clusters of power as well, because a lot of that power accumulates just from 
well, I'm the person who knows the login code for the website, or I'm the one who pays the power bill or whatever, you know, there's this very practical mundane logistical details that are attached to a specific task. Like all this power accumulates around that, which is completely arbitrary. And if you can move those tasks around, you wind up moving the logistical information as well. And so then more people have a chance to be more empowered. So I wonder if there's a, like a kind of process you could do there as well, where people can see literally what is this disparity of participation, like who's taking on what and, and the people mm -hmm. who, are, who have more capacity. Um, yeah, people who have like, maybe their life circumstances have changed or like they've recently arrived and they've got spare capacity. Like that's the place where they can show up and be like, oh, I can do that and I can do that. And would this be useful? Mm. I'm not even sure like what slot this would, if I were to facilitate a task marketplace, where would it fall into in the existing rhythms that there are? There's like, there's a general meeting once a month and then there's working group meetings once a month that feed into the hub meeting that takes place just before the general meeting, like a few days before the general meeting, so that the general meeting focuses only in like ideally like three or four things rather than, and like the hub group takes in all the reports from the working group meetings and puts it and formulates the agenda for the general meeting. And I'm just like, where would the task marketplace go? <laughs> I guess a general meeting really, I can't, I can't think of anywhere else. Yeah, well, this is why for me, there needs to be a rhythm for reflection, you know, like the, the place where we talk about how we're working and we make small, small improvements to it. Um, and whether you call that a retro or something else, but like there's gotta be a recurring place where we upgrade how we're working. And, I, and then I feel like the response would be like, I don't want a third meeting to go to because <laughs> there's the hub meeting to go to, the general meeting to go to and the working group meeting. Well, realistically, no one actually goes to the hub meeting apart from the people rotated to go uh, because they've been rotated to be the chair for the next general meeting. And so only five people turn up for that. But I mean, like people are going to be like, I don't want another meeting to go to in addition to the working group meeting and the general general meeting. And I'm just like, ah, where? I don't know where to put the retro. I mean, the retro maybe every, is every three months, I suppose. Or, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, the other thing you can do is just sneak in the, the, the trace elements, you know, just like these micronutrients, rather than say, okay, we have a whole meeting about a retro. Like um, that thing that Jen did at the end of, of their meeting, the... Um, you know, they put up this quadrant. It was okay. like, yeah. key learnings, what did I enjoy? What needs to change? And what are my yeah. outstanding questions? Yeah. And like, literally it can take 30 seconds for people to write a couple of post-it notes on their way out of the door and like have a cup of tea and read what else other people put up there or something. Um, we don't need like a big formalized, take up a bunch of time, but at least there's a, a, small, <laughs> a small outlet for people's suggestions about how things could be improved. And then occasionally, probably one of those post-it notes on the like Delta column, what should be changed, will be this like brilliant idea. And we have to spin up and become a working group. And say, like, oh yeah, we're, this is a big change, but it seems really important. Who's going to volunteer to lead that work? Mm. Yeah, I mean, if we're organizing digitally um, for the next, at least four months, if not more, hopefully the building deadline doesn't move again. <laughs> Um, so maybe that could be done on a Miro board 
if people are up for it. Although I think some people's technical capabilities are, it's amazing that they even attended the call at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and then maybe there can be other ways that they can input if they want to. On that, on that kind of tech accessibility, often what we'll do is like, whoever's hosting the meeting, they'll show the Miro board, like they'll share their screen. And people who feel tech savvy, they can jump in and add their own post-it notes. And other people, they, they may at least be able to use the chat function and just write in the chat and someone can be like their kind of proxy person that's putting the post-it notes in for them. Like, it, it, yeah, so long as you give it a moment, so it's pretty easy to accommodate people, I think. Okay. Well, I'm feeling like I want to round the conversation. Um, and maybe if you want to talk about microsolidarity, we can, but I'm just going to feel, I'm just going to like try pull out what I feel like I've taken away from this or got from this. Um, sense of, I like the description between prescriptive and descriptive. I feel like that's one thing, at least I have vocabulary for that now, because previously I was just like, why can't we just say what we already do? <laughs> but um, yeah, now I have got a word. And yeah, still that, um, I guess that, that sense of the change process, me needing to start at like smaller scales, um, both in terms of the the scale of the inter, like scale of the thing, the task, and the scale of the group, it might play into, um, and just just slow very slowly work from there because that's just how it works like slowly, <laughs> um, and then the other thing I got is um, maybe talking to the community and learning working group about, I mean an idea of having an annual calendar of like optional workshops that people can go to that slowly level, gradually level up uh, com community competencies, even if it's just like circulating in a smaller subset of the wider group, it will somehow percolate through the rest of the group somehow. Yeah, something like that. I think those are my takeaways. That's great. Um, I think there's maybe one more that's sticking out for me which again, I, it came really clear to me in the Nuanu project as well, is that basically treating polarity as a commons management problem. So like noticing, like anyone who has more context and more like, yeah, that you're in these kind of governance processes and you're thinking this way about the whole system, like you can see polarity early. You see the early warning signs like that. Um, Oh, in six months time, if people get stressed out, they could the community could fracture on this line or on that line. And getting that, getting that knowledge shared into the community early before it's tense and treating it as a commons problem, like, oh, we noticed that some people are really highly engaged and some people are less, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it could cause problems down the line. So like, how do we own that as a community and, um, and, and kind of get ahead of it while the trust is there? And I'm a I really like that part of the Nuano conversation about like polarity training or polarity management. Um, like that totally hit the nail on the head because that was something I dealt with in the previous housing project. It's like, I felt like we really did fall into two factions because polarity was 
from either side of the conversation the other side's problem like you created the polarity because you're not on my side and the other side would think the same about the other side basically except there were three sides instead of two um (laughs) 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 Uh, i've thought about it a lot i'm sorry and but as you're saying this i'm like okay how would i do this like would i go into a conversation and say Um, we need to think we need to take care of this as a group or like insert issue here I mm. hope we can take care of this as, as a group and not and not like that I yeah know. um I I think about it as like um the frame of like a training workshop kind of makes things safe safe to try in a way so like if we were going to be training on conflict I would not bring a live conflict usually from two people in the community but what i would do is say like okay we're going to put you in pairs and think about a conflict in your life not with someone in this room and kind of role play it with this kind of surrogate person and you know share as much as you want or like ham it up if you want it's fine but it's kind of a it's a little bit gamified so people have a little bit of detachment from the issue but it's also real you know it's this like sweet spot between real and fake um so like if you were going to do a training on polarity management you can say like, okay, what would be some theoretical polarities that might come, you know, and it's not like a real thing that's right now really high stakes, but you can imagine that like community attitudes towards what food happens in the kitchen, for example, like that can be a really severe polarity Um, and lots of, you know, you can think of issues that are live enough that people are invested and they'll actually feel the emotional reality but not so live that it's like you're actually going to inflame a big conflict in the group before you know like um that's that's not going to be helpful so like a training is where i would start with that and then again you just need a few people in the room who have that frame of mind it's not like everyone has to be thinking in terms of polarity all the time but if you have a few people who can spot it um they'll be able to make more skillful interventions as as it's coming up in the room okay Mm, okay yeah okay I'm gonna have to probably like research that because I can't I, I don't have the full image of that but I don't I feel like if you could just send me something from that that I could yeah I, I feel like I need to upskill on it too which probably means um I can find someone to interview and record it and share share what I learned oh, that'd be great that'd be awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah what exactly would you do after identifying this like conflict and then how, how would you practice it such that you you would learn that managing it as a as a commons problem rather than managing it as a two sides problem yeah um let me just i've written a twitter thread about this so i don't remember it but uh, <laughs> but i can find it um i'll get the link Oh, Twitter threads. The search is not so good. Okay, so here's a thread. Um, and maybe actually I can share the screen. Ah, oh, no, it's going to be annoying. I'll just share the thread. And if anyone's listening in on this, I'll put the link in the description too. Um, but basically, during a training on polarity management, you can draw up a diagram, use a sample polarity that is like not too spicy, but people can feel it a little bit. And then you go around, it's basically, you've got, um, so vegan food and um, 
carnivores, vegans and carnivores, you know, that could be your polarity. Mm-hmm. And then um, you, you spend time in each quadrant. So one quadrant is like, what, what would be the benefit of having a rule where we only have vegan food on site? And then what would be the benefit of only having meat on site? And then you go to the other side, what would be the shortcomings of doing that? And what would be the shortcomings of going to the other side? Um, and so you like fill in this quadrant where you can see like there's pros and cons on both sides and probably what you need for your community is some kind of harmony between those two points. It might be a compromise or it might be some like breakthrough. Um, oh, it turns out that we've actually got two kitchens and one of them can be the vegan kitchen and the other one can be the carnivores kitchen and that's how we solve it. Um, so that's kind of like a trite example, but basically giving giving people the visualization of the two points on a spectrum and um, they naturally want to oppose each other and fight each other and make the other person into the other and the enemy. Mm. Um, but if we can slow it down and, and actively, like proactively do some compassion and empathy for, and, and like visit each perspective in turn, make sure everyone gets heard, um, you build a, a much more harmonious picture and you can come up with like good enough solutions. So that's one way to do it. Um, but I'm sure there's other more sophisticated ways. I've heard of like kind of doing this, but less about having a diagram and filling it in and more about actually moving people through the room. So like mm. get everyone over to the vegan side of the room and, and like let's all share from the perspective of what it's like to be a vegan in the system and then get everyone over to the carnival system and hear what is it like for people who are carnivores. So like, yeah, that, that sounds like it could be effective too. Mm. Um, but this is my homework is to learn more about this. Yeah, no, I like I like this as a starting point. Yeah, I could see this working because like it's literally doing it in practice, kind of. Yeah. Uh, but it it's interesting that like, do you think you would ever put people in a situation where they simulated taking on sides rather than considering all sides? I mean, wait, I guess that is that is the moving across the room version of it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And you'll see that there there are people in your group that are not capable of taking on multiple perspectives simultaneously. And that's like, that could be because they don't feel sufficiently safe, or it could be about cognitive complexity and their own maturity of development. Like, um, it's, it's quite important that most of the people in the decision-making roles can do this kind of pluralistic, multi-perspective taking, like, thinking about the greater whole and not getting caught in the, in, in the factions. And again, like doing these kind of exercises, you'll see who are the people that are really adept at doing this polarity management. It's like, for me, it's kind of like a magical role. It's almost like having a shaman in the room that knows how to find the transcendent include integration between two apparently opposing forces. Hmm. And how would you respond if you could see that, say half the room or a good third of the room weren't sitting like we're finding this really difficult because they just they really just couldn't take on the other side i mean the other perspective um i'm off the cuff i'd say like i would be thinking about um basically i'd be thinking about conflict resolution like um yeah that that well (laughs) this is a whole big question about diversity in general right like um it's, it's, you know, you made it clear that diversity is one of the top values in the community. Mm. Um, but to me, 
diversity is something you do, not something you say, you know, like it's a capacity that you develop over time as you get more empathy and more um, experience and more trust, then you've got more capability to hold diverging points of view and diverging experiences and different cultural expectations and values and all that sort of stuff. Um, that's a that's a muscle you develop with practice. It's not it's not something you get just by saying we care a lot about diversity. It's like that's the starting point, but um, there's a lot of development that needs to happen. And so, yeah, uh, when a group starting out, it usually doesn't have that much capacity for diversity. Like you're saying, you know, you're on a stage where the, no one wants to disagree with each other. It's like yeah, that's natural. There's there's this like formation process happening where people are looking for what do they have in common. What, what, what are we? What are our shared hopes and dreams and values? And that's all about minimizing diversity in reality. And it's only once that is stable and mature that the diversity is genuinely welcome. And that, like I say, is a muscle that gets stretched over time. Mm -hmm. um, as you're talking about like multi-perspectivity and polarity management in, in the commons, I'm uh, the thing that's coming up for me is this other kind of like um frame of like being in treating an organization as like being customer to the organization and being a um a active or a participatory agent or yeah. an equal agent in the yeah. organization and yeah. i feel like when you're if, if i took on a mindset of like being a customer to the organization and everyone else is providing me a service or the core team was providing me a service, then I would be more likely to fall into polarity mode than if I was in, um, yeah, the participatory equal agent. I also have responsibility for this project mode. Yeah. Yeah, that's extremely normal. Um, and, and like with our co-op, Lumio, um, you know, it's literally that when someone shows up, they start out as an employee. And then if they've been with us for a year and there's no major concerns, then they, they're invited to become a co-owner. And so like, um, in the case with Lumio, it's, it's this like legal, you get the share, you know, that so you become a shareholder. And, and there's also the, the more like informal, almost like a sense of moral responsibility as compared to the legal responsibility or this, this, the, um, yeah, the sense of ownership, which means that you lose sleep over it or you're dreaming about it. Um, that those two halves, the kind of like the legal and the moral, they they kind of like tug each other along. So like we would only offer the legal ownership when we're starting to see some signs that they're developing the moral ownership. But once we give the legal ownership, we find that the moral ownership kind of gets exhilarated too. So it's like they're kind of tugging each other along in a, in a, in a weird way. Mm. And, and at the moment you've got this probation thing is this like six month window yeah. um but yeah like i have this lurking suspicion in the back of my mind that you might need another kind of concept about stages of maturity and people's participation in the community maybe you can just handle that informally um because from what i've heard from your group it's like probably going to be a taboo it's going to feel like you're setting up an elitist hierarchy so it might be, have to be a bit more discreet um but yeah people do go through different stages of maturity and they have different like if you're coming at it from a design perspective these are these are like classes of users with different needs and expectations and they're going to need different user experience mm. wow 
yeah thanks for spelling that out to me <laughs> oh my um, God. One, yeah. one, one model that really helped me on this was um, what they call like the butterfly maturity model like you think the butterfly goes through these very distinct stages one moment it's an egg the next it's like a caterpillar and then later on it's got these wings it's like it becomes these very completely different characters and as a community you're going to go through these transformations in different phases and this like this thing about having very prescriptive agreements might be people are trying to describe the butterfly but you haven't even like you haven't even built the cocoon yet it's like it's not quite relevant to be focused on those late stage maturity questions when you're at the very early stage of the project. Um, but then also at the personal level, everyone kind of is going through their own maturity phases in their relationship to the group. And um, yeah, it, it can actually be harmful to pretend that everyone's got the same maturity level. They don't, like, of course they don't. If you've just showed up the first X number of months, you're mostly going to be on listening and like trying to understand your place. Um, and it's, it, it, it might be uncomfortable to acknowledge that there's like a significant disparity there, um, but it's probably more uncomfortable to fake it and say like, oh, no, we're all equal. We're, we're, we're really going to listen to your proposals. Uh. Mm. Do, you, what, do, do you have a chart of like what are butterfly questions and what are egg questions for an organisation? <laughs> no, um, but <laughs> I... You know, I got into this through entrepreneurship. And so like, this is what, you know, there's this, this concept called lean startup, which is kind of like a formula for how you make a new business. Mm. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons I think that business is so much more impactful in contemporary society than like, um, yeah, free associations and so on is because they use these lean iterative processes, which are all about like, what is the what is the minimum viable product what's the thing we must have this week and what's the quickest way we can get feedback about whether this is valuable or not people like it or not it fits or it doesn't like you're in this very rapid experimental cycle and you're getting very harsh feedback from the market about whether your thing is valuable or not yeah. that's like a super effective evolutionary process whereas most like community groups and 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 more like housing co-ops and so on they're not subjected to the same market pressure yeah and, and so they're not getting tested all the time of like, is this actually practical? Is this actually working? And they don't have the same expectations about pace and like formal experimentation and so on. Yeah. So like often we, I, or we, or whatever, people can come up with them proposals that sound really cool and then we don't do it because like realistically no one actually has any energy for it or it doesn't really actually meet our needs right now. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and and I think you you will develop your own feeling for what's an egg and what's a caterpillar. Like, um, you know, this idea of an annual calendar, an annual training calendar. Mm. It's a butterfly, um, yeah. and and the egg, <laughs> the egg is like putting a message on WhatsApp saying, "Hey, I've I've learned about this feedback practice. Does someone want to try it with me tomorrow?" You know, like oh yeah, yeah. This this real focus on agency and actually doing stuff and getting live feedback. Yeah, I'm really appreciating this egg to butterfly um, uh, picture because, um, yeah, that, that problem in businesses of like um, really needing to prioritize the highest order bit or as, as it's been described to me in the past, um, 
I felt that I felt that as an issue in in co-ops that I've been before um, because you know the mortgage is paid off and people don't really have any like worry about money and there's this image that we have boundless potential and and possibility um, and yeah I need to bring that to myself now when I'm thinking about like these questions and what's like what's actually the next possible tiny micro step because yeah. like, if I miss that then there's no point in me thinking about the macro step next down or the macro step two two down yeah yeah, yeah. and again that's a kind of like community leadership competency is spotting spotting these moments where someone has got a little tiny spark of agency and fanning the flame. And like on Twitter, Visa is really good at this. So like last week I, I wrote a tweet saying, hey, hey, everyone, please remind me if I, if I haven't written the thread about this complicated topic in the next two weeks, please remind me about this. And Visa comes in and he's like, look, I think what's happening for him is he's saying like, Rich, you're setting yourself like way too high of a goal. You're never gonna deliver on this. It's too complicated and you're delaying it. Like, what's the smallest thing you can do right now that's like one step in the right direction? And so like, that's the background. What he actually did was like, okay, tell me one thing, like you've just described this complex topic with like 15 different points. Tell me one thing about one of those points that people don't get. And I'm like, well, this, blah, 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 blah. And like, I've immediately started writing the thing, you know? Like, um, he, I call it agency sniping. It's like <laughs> finding, these, finding these little acupuncture points where you can say like, oh, there's something you can do about that right now, which sets you off in the right direction. And it doesn't resemble the end state goal, but it's going in the right direction. And it's so much more useful to have momentum in any direction rather than having no momentum and like a perfect, a perfect sense of which direction we're supposed to go in. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's so funny. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like you were wrapping up and then I just like opened up a whole other can of worms. <laughs> no, but it was really good. Uh, well, apparently I needed it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's pause it there. I feel like this is uh, the can of worms um, is fractal and there are more cans of worms inside the can. Mm. Uh, so it, there's no natural point to leave it. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do my polarity management homework and see if I can learn more. Uh, we'll see if I can find someone to interview about that. You've got tons of homework, which you've already recapped. And maybe we should just um, pencil in this intention that we could check in again in like six months or something and, and see what stage the butterflies in then. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully the project might be housed by then. Who knows? <laughs> and I could show you pictures. <laughs> I don't know. Awesome. Yeah. You might be ready to face docs by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, no pressure. It's red. It's red that you're um, semi-anonymous. I think that's cool. Okay. But yeah, thank you so much for that offer. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll note that down in my calendar and we'll, I'll message you then. Yeah, nice. All right. Let's wrap it there.